2: A warning, this series contains discussion of themes that might be distressing for some
3: listeners. The things that the children have said in, about me, or, or things that are meant to have happened, are that I've um, dug up Jesus Christ, that I buried a child called Andrew in a coffin, that um, I sent a child, two children across the road and one of them didn't get make it, make it, he was run over and killed. I mean, I'm sort of thinking to myself, Who's listening to this? Uh, I've meant to have cooked kittens uh, and and fed them to children, Um, driven them out to to two and and tied them up and thrown them at the deep end and left them in the water. Um, i meant to have cooked children, Uh, pet giraffes. It's, It's not bizarre, it's just totally and utterly unbelievable and I'm hearing people say that they believe it. Peter
2: Ellis, The crash Case and Me is a Newsroom.co.nz production. We take you right inside one of New Zealand's most controversial cases, when a kind of madness gripped Christchurch, resulting in a miscarriage of justice that would take 30 years to put right. It was a saga that divided a city, destroyed families and shocked the nation. Mrs Ellis, are you convinced that your son is innocent? Completely convinced my son is
3: innocent. I don't know how I ended up with 30 child abuse charges. I think a
4: very clever offender.
3: If I asked you to take a lie detector test, would you take it? I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Some of the words that are said in that courtroom, I just literally felt ill. <laughs> oh, the
5: police are in embarrassment. The hysteria just blew up. The
1: charges against the accused have been established beyond reasonable doubt.
2: Kia ora, I'm Melanie Reid, Newsroom's Investigations Editor. Welcome to the second episode in our eight-part podcast, Peter Arrested. In November 1991, soon after the ritual abuse workshops in Christchurch, a child said to his mother, I don't like Peter's black penis. The mother believed her son's remark was a revelation of sexual abuse. I
3: have just literally can't come up with any answer for why that child's going on about a black penis. I mean, I'm Caucasian.
2: The boy's mother was, by many accounts, predisposed to view her son's remarks in a certain way. We refer to her as Mother One in this story and historic reports. Peter Ellis was certainly of the opinion that she was irrational, obsessed and dangerous.
3: For me, where this all started, it started with that one woman and I personally think she has a bee in a bonnet about sexual abuse. She has studied ritual abuse, she's seized sexual abuse all over the place, she's taken lists of, of abusing and, 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 and types of uh, signs to watch out for two parents in this this um, case, uh, and I, th- I quite think she is a frightening woman.
2: When we were immersed in this case in the early 90s, it was much harder to see things in context. We didn't have all the information that later on would become highly relevant. In this episode, we will go back to a report I did in 1997. By then Peter had been in jail for four years and by now we had a lot more detail about the main players and exactly how things unfolded. So throughout this piece we will turn to my full 90s style, current affairs exclusive, where all of that detail is laid out. Mother one not only believed Peter Alice had abused her son, she went on to make allegations against another male creche worker at another creche, believing he, too, had abused her son. But it was her complaint against Alice that began one of New Zealand's most controversial cases. My colleague in the 90s was John Campbell. He, too, would examine Mother One's background in one of his early reports.
1: We're not allowed to identify her. But what we can tell you is that sexual abuse has played a large part in her life. Her personal statement to the police reveals she too was a victim of child sexual abuse. Collated by the same woman some years before she laid the first Civic Kreisch complaint, it's a booklet which warns of, quote, the epidemic of child abuse. An epidemic she found at the Christchurch Civic Crèche. <music>
2: It was 20 November 1991 when Mother One sent a four-page letter accusing Peter Alice of molesting her son. By the time Alice and Davidson were called into the council, the allegations had already begun to spread around.
3: In fact, that letter, I understand, travelled to quite a few Places before it actually went to the correct place where it should have gone. So there were a lot of people privy to that letter. My grandmother came back from England with my mother, and my grandmother has got Alzheimer's and she was tired, and my mother was tired. And so I had said to Mum, I said, because my mum was actually going to drive her back to Omaru, and I said to Mum, I said, look. I'll look after Grandma, you go home and get a sleep. There's no way you're going to have got off a plane from England and drive down the And so I phoned up my supervisor, Gay, and she asked if I could come in for at least an hour. And I went in, and Gay was waiting for me out in the car park. We uh, went down to the city council. We talked about mundane things like the weather and uh, didn't say anything. We went into a room, we were four of them plus myself, and this letter was handed over to me with uh, allegations that i had um, the parents were, were concerned that their child said that they were frightened of my black penis and i then went away with the union rep to discuss it i mean i just i mean i didn't know what to say i mean other than well i mean i wasn't even cons- considering getting a lawyer or anything just I mean, I thought to myself, well I know it's a load of hoo-ha, and this is going to get dealt with at a, you know, if the confrontation would would be, I would see the parents say, look, I didn't, I don't know what you're talking about, um, or Gay and I, and then would sit down, Yeah, you know, it just, I mean, I thought it would be something like that, and it was Jan that said, I said, look Peter, I think this is serious, you're going to have to get a lawyer, and I'm sort of thinking... Why? I mean, I really couldn't come up with an answer for for you know why do I need a lawyer? This is, this is not true. And and um.
2: So what happened?
3: Well, Gay took me back home, and I sort of got suspended there and then, with pay.
2: On indefinite leave, Peter did get himself a lawyer and along with a union rep, they advised the council if there was no complaint laid with the police, Peter wanted to be reinstated as soon as possible. By then, Mother One's son had attended his first social welfare specialist interview, but there was no disclosure of sexual abuse. Not then, not ever. However, mother one's complaint had activated Detective Colonede from the police child abuse unit.
4: She believed her child; uh, he didn't disclose in a formal interview, but he he did to her. Even though
2: there had been no disclosure of sexual abuse and he'd only been contacted by a couple of parents, just seven days after mother one had sent the letter. Detective Colin Ede advised the council personnel officer he believed he was onto something big. On Detective Eade's advice, an urgent meeting was planned to advise all crèche parents that a staff member was under suspicion. Even before that meeting, some parents had already been in contact with the social welfare agencies after hearing of the allegation. And it was now up to Detective Colonnade to keep control, especially since that one allegation had come to nothing. You must have had to have had a sort of major strategic approach because there was a danger, wasn't there, that all this could get out of hand.
4: My approach was to be really careful with it, to involve an interviewer from the specialist services from the start and for her to talk about contamination.
2: On the morning of December 2nd, 1991, before the parent meeting, the Christchurch Press ran a front-page story saying... A creche worker has been suspended after the allegations a child had been sexually abused. That evening, the parents crowded into the back room of the creche expecting to hear the worst.
3: As far as I'm concerned, certain policemen have got on and propaganded this in some way. They did not handle that meeting, the initial meeting, well, from my understanding. And they they created that mood for hysteria. And I have been spoken to by parents' supporters that feel like that too, that it was not handled by the police. And the woman from social welfare that spoke to that group of parents, they created a feeling of fear.
2: Here are some of the parents who attended that meeting explaining
5: what it was like. The excitement of the people, the hysteria that went on in that room was just, just blew up, really. There was something about the craziness that sucked us in. It was, there was a real panic. People started to get very angry with each other and shouted, so I just crept out quickly. At that
2: meeting, the Christchurch City Council, the creche owners, agreed to provide counselling for distraught parents, and a support group was set up. Even though at this stage there had been no formal disclosure, no proof whatsoever of sexual abuse.
0: Planning for your next trip?
2: No proof, but some parents were of the opinion that abuse at the creche was widespread. Some of them were members of the recently formed support group. So, another three children had social welfare specialist interviews. Once again, none of them disclosed any sexual abuse. On the 21st of December 1991, Colony advised the Christchurch City Council and all concerned that the police investigation was closed. Two days before Christmas, Peter Ellis was advised he was being dismissed. But Peter loved his job and he was not about to fold.
3: There was no disclosure of sexual abuse, so I asked for my job back and I wasn't allowed it. I was offered basically some money to disappear.
2: The council offered Peter Ellis a voluntary severance payment of $10,000, a considerable sum in the early 90s. But he refused.
3: It was almost like I'd push the start button again for this whole case to start rolling again. It's It's like I turned around and sort of said, right, I haven't done it, I want my job back. And the answer suddenly was, oh, let's go round up a few more, we don't want him back because... So the
2: perfect storm was gathering. Peter is feeling insulted and confident he is in the right, but his accusers are also feeling aggrieved and there is no way in hell that they're backing down. It's quite possible that had Peter taken the money and faded from the scene, there would never have been what we now know as the Christchurch civic creche case. But he didn't do that. In early January '92, the creche reopened for the year. There had still not been a single disclosure of sexual abuse, so the staff were optimistic Alice would be coming back to work. But instead, The council followed through with its plan and sacked him. Ten days later, while he was considering an employment case, a six-year-old girl who had never attended the creche made the first formal disclosure. The girl's mother, who we'll call mother Two, was part of the parents' support group. She was a social worker. She was also the organiser of the parents' meeting. Her daughter, who hadn't attended the crèche, said the bad touching by Alice happened when she went there with her parents to pick up her younger brothers. This is part of her specialist interview.
5: You were playing the xylophone there.
3: And he was on stilts when he came along.
5: Hang on, was he on stilts or not? No. Okay, remember we've got to promise to tell the true things. So now you show me what really happened. He
3: came along and touched, touched, touched me, touched, touched me. And then I said no and I ran away and he ran away because he didn't want to be caught and he did and I always knew it was him. We
2: now know that in the end, that complaint never actually went anywhere. Now this is another point in the story where we knew a lot more down the track than we did at the time. So something else was going on with the detective in charge of the case. So what did you think? For Colin Ede, a disclosure from a child who had not even attended the crash was disturbing stuff.
4: I thought that it looked really serious, really bad.
2: However, this complaint of abuse would eventually be withdrawn. Why did this complaint eventually get dropped?
4: You'd have to ask the mother that.
2: Did she withdraw
4: it? Yes, she did.
2: The mother withdrew it about the same time she notified police that Colin had propositioned her. Is there anything that you want to tell us about her? No. It's a fairly heavy accusation for someone that was in the position that you were in.
4: Look, I'm not going to discuss it.
2: Are you denying it?
4: No, I'm just not discussing it.
2: You were a detective in one of the most controversial cases in this country and there was a complaint to the police that you made sexual advances towards a complainant's mother.
4: It doesn't matter how you how you put it, I'm not going to respond to it. I'm sorry.
2: All records relating to this mother's complaint were removed from the police file. But despite all of the events surrounding this child, the six year old's part in the crash case was crucial.
3: She came along and touched, touched, touched,
2: It was her interview in late January 92 about bad touching that was the first formal evidence against Peter Ellis. At that time, it was the one and only disclosure of sexual abuse. It was the turning point. Not long after, another woman who was part of the support group would contact police because the little girl she was looking after, a girl who had been babysat by Peter Ellis, had become fascinated with her baby boy's penis. In the weeks that followed, that same woman went on to make a formal statement to Detective Colonnide about her own preschool-aged daughter who'd been at the creche. On the same day he received that statement, he advised the creche committee and the City Council that the police investigation into the creche case was reopened. By now, a core group of parents, by their own admission, had begun direct questioning of their children, something they'd been warned against doing. In the following weeks, three of those children told specialist interviewers they'd been abused by Peter Ellis. As anxiety grew, a second meeting was arranged for all parents whose children had been to the creche in the five and a half years Ellis had worked there. Christchurch child psychologist, Karen Zellis it's most important that parents don't in fact More than a week before that second meeting was due to take place the whole country would there hear that something shocking appeared, appeared to be happening with children at the be Christchurch be Civic Child
4: care um, Centre Today the man at the centre of the allegations um, was staying indoors
2: There His are only specialist interviewers who are being set up to interview these children child So all this hype before that second meeting what is even more extraordinary is that at this stage, Peter Ellis had never even been
3: spoken to by police. Today, I actually didn't have any contact at all with the police till um, the day I was arrested, March the 30th. I mean, it's the first time I actually saw a policeman.
2: And his arrest just happened to be on the eve of the big parents' meeting. It was the 30th of March, 1992, which was also Peter Ellis's birthday. And he spent it locked up overnight, charged with indecently assaulting the girl who had never attended the creche. Here is creche parent Mary Cox speaking to me back in the 90s.
5: With the build-up of the events, um... I think that the stage was set to um, get as many people as possible to um, evidential interviews, and um, because of the yeah because of the build-up of, of what had happened, so that people were in a particular frame of mind. I think by the time they had got to that meeting,
2: about 200 parents poured into that meeting. There they were encouraged to take their children to specialist interviews, advised on the behavioural signs of sexual abuse, cautioned not to directly question their children, given information on counselling and ACC procedures. Hotlines were set up, pamphlets were handed out, the Christchurch Civic Crash case was well underway. Here are some of those same parents speaking to me again.
5: If you were um, a person who who was concerned, I mean, we all are, we only want the very best for our child, and all these professionals are saying, um, what, you know, the, the chances, the likelihood of this happening was pretty great, and and it's in your best interest to get them, you know, into an evidential interview so that a professional can make the judgment. It's quite, there's it's, it's a lot of pressure. But one of the reasons that we went along to the meeting was almost for reassurance, this hasn't happened. No, no, this hasn't happened to our child. And of course, there was a very clear message that indeed it wasn't small anymore, it was huge. They were saying that hundreds of children possibly had been abused. They were saying that this was the biggest thing ever in New Zealand. They were saying that no children had never, who were showing no signs, of being abused, none of the classic symptoms were actually disclosing. I got the impression that reputations were certainly going to be made by this, and it was ve- actually on one level very
2: exciting. If this case wasn't already strange enough, it was about to get even stranger. The lead detective on the case, Eat, was convinced of a darker, much darker scenario.
4: There's at least more than 10 offenders and from what children told their parents at least 80 children were affected.
2: And what do you base that on?
4: I base it on what the children say.
2: What do they say?
4: They say that they were taken to places where they were abused by Peter Allison and other people. They say that they were filmed and they say that they were the subject of abuse systematic abuse by numbers of men
2: but what do you really base that on apart from the
4: children that's all i base it on it's what the whole case was based on and there's nothing wrong with that coming
2: up in the next episode the panic spreads through the creche families creating a frenzy spearheaded by therapists and police to watch the video series of Peter Alice, the Crash Case, and me, and for more award-winning journalism that matters, head to newsroom.co.nz. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe. Please rate and review our series. It helps new listeners find us. Check out our social media pages to get in touch and see photos and video clips. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok by searching the Peter Alice case. This series is written, produced and presented by me, Melanie Reed, edited by Paul Entercott and Lewis Tennant. Original music by Age Pyre. Sound mix by Richard Wills. Written and produced by Bonnie Sumner, and our podcast producer is Lewis Tennant. This is a newsroom investigates production made in partnership with News Hub. Peter Alice, the Crash Case